chapter one of abraham lincoln a history volume six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume six by john hay and john george nicolay chapter one pope's virginia campaign in order to understand the unfortunate consequence of the long delay of mcclellan in moving his army from the james to the potomac a few words of retrospect are here necessary on june twenty sixth eighteen sixty two general john pope was appointed to the command of the army of virginia consisting of the corps of fremont banks and mcdowell fremont having refused to serve under his junior was relieved of his command and his place taken by general franz siegel mcdowell and banks who might with much more reason have objected to the arrangement accepted it with soldierly and patriotic promptness general pope though still a young man was a veteran soldier he was a graduate of the class of eighteen forty two at west point had served with distinction in the mexican war and had had a great success in the capture of island number ten in the mississippi river in the spring of eighteen sixty two he had made a very favorable impression not only upon the president but upon most members of the cabinet he remained in washington for several weeks after having been assigned to his new command awaiting the arrival of general halleck the new general-in-chief and only left there on the twenty ninth of july to put himself at the head of his troops in the latter part of june the president being deeply anxious in regard to the military situation and desiring to obtain the best advice in his power had made as privately as possible a visit to general scott in his retirement to ask his counsel the only record of this visit is a memorandum from scott approving the president's own plan of sending mcdowell's command to reinforce mcclellan before richmond a plan the execution of which was prevented by lee's attack it is probable that at this same interview the appointment of halleck as general-in-chief was again suggested by general scott secretary chase says in his diary that so far as he knew no member of the cabinet was consulted in regard to it the appointment when made was received with general approval halleck was not mcclellan which was sufficient for the more vehement opponents of that general and he was not a republican which pleased the other party in fact he shocked the secretary of the treasury by saying at the first cabinet meeting he attended i confess i do not think much of the negro if halleck never fulfilled the high expectations at first entertained of him he at least discharged the duties of his great office with intelligence and fidelity his integrity and his ability were alike undoubted his deficiencies were rather those of temperament in great crises he lacked determination and self-confidence and was always more ready to avoid than to assume embarrassing responsibility after general halleck's return from the james the question of mcclellan's removal from command of the army of the potomac was much discussed in administration circles the president himself was averse to it secretary chase was the most prominent member of the government in its favor he urged it strongly upon general halleck thinking it necessary 
to the revival of the credit of the country halleck agreed with him in condemning mcclellan's military operations but thought that under his orders mcclellan would do very well pope in conversation with chase said he had warned the president that he could not safely command the army of virginia if its success was to depend on the cooperation of mcclellan for he felt assured that his cooperation would fail at some time when it would be most important but the resolution was taken upon halleck's report to withdraw mcclellan with his army on the thirtieth as we have seen mcclellan was ordered to send away his sick on the third of august he was directed to move his army to aquia creek reiterated orders entreaties arguments and reproaches were all powerless to hasten his movements or to bring him to the potomac in less than three weeks his first troops reynolds's division joined the army of virginia on the twenty third of august in the meantime pope had begun his campaign with an error of taste more serious than any error of conduct he ever committed he had issued an address to the officers and soldiers of the army of virginia containing a few expressions which had made almost all the officers of the army of the potomac his enemies he said i have come to you from the west where we have always seen the backs of our enemies from an army whose business it has been to seek the adversary and to beat him when he was found whose policy has been attack and not defence i presume that i have been called here to pursue the same system and to lead you against the enemy it is my purpose to do so and that speedily i desire you to dismiss from your mind certain phrases which i am sorry to find so much in vogue amongst you i hear constantly of taking strong positions and holding them of lines of retreat and of basis of supplies let us discard such ideas the strongest position a soldier should desire to occupy is one from which he can most easily advance against the enemy let us study the probable lines of retreat of our opponents and leave our own to take care of themselves let us look before us and not behind success and glory are in the advance disaster and shame lurk in the rear this address which had no other purpose than to encourage and inspirit his men was received to pope's amazement with a storm of angry ridicule which lasted as long as he remained in command of the army of virginia and very seriously weakened his hold upon the confidence of his troops and the respect of the public as a matter of course it rendered impossible any sincere sympathy and support from general mcclellan and those nearest to him it may even be doubted whether there had been from the beginning any probability of a good understanding between them from the moment pope arrived from the west he was regarded with jealousy by the friends of mcclellan as a certain rival and possible successor in the last days of june when mcclellan made his first intimation of a change of base pope had suggested and the president had conveyed his suggestion to mcclellan that it would be better for the latter if forced to leave the line of the chickahominy to fall back on the pamunkey the source from which the suggestion came was sufficient to ensure its rejection if there had been no other reason pope had taken great pains to establish friendly relations with mcclellan writing him as soon as he assumed command a long and cordial letter giving him a full account of his situation and intentions and inviting his confidence and sympathy in return 
mcclellan answered a few days later in a briefer letter in which he clearly foreshadowed an intention to resist the withdrawal of his army from its present position handicapped by this lack of cordial sympathy with him in the army of the potomac pope left washington on the twenty ninth of july to begin his work the first object of which was to make a demonstration in the direction of gordonsville to assist in the withdrawal of mcclellan's army from the james in pursuance of this intention generals banks and siegel were ordered to move to culpeper courthouse banks promptly obeyed his orders arriving there shortly before midnight on the eighth of august siegel from some mistake as to the road did not get there until the evening of the next day by that time banks had gone forward to cedar mountain and at that point with a force of less than eight thousand men of all arms he attacked the army corps of stonewall jackson consisting of ewell's a p hill's and jackson's divisions with such vigor and impetuosity that he came near defeating them though finally repulsed he inflicted such a blow upon jackson as to give him an exaggerated idea of his numbers and hearing two days afterwards that banks had been reinforced jackson thought best to retire to the rapidan by this time general lee having become convinced that mcclellan was about to leave the peninsula concluded to concentrate a large force upon pope's advance to attack and if possible to destroy it on the thirteenth of august general longstreet was ordered to the rapidan with the divisions of longstreet and jackson and stuart's cavalry corps general lee disposed of an army of about fifty four thousand men pope finding himself so greatly outnumbered retreated behind the rappahannock where he established himself without loss on the twentieth of august thus far pope had made no mistake he had succeeded in checking the advance of jackson in withdrawing such a force of the enemy from richmond as to leave mcclellan's retreat unmolested and had established his army in good condition on the north bank of the rappahannock under orders from general halleck he held the line of this river for eight days repulsing several attempts of the enemy to cross in hope as the general-in-chief said that during this time sufficient forces from the army of the potomac would reach aquia creek to enable us to prevent any further advance of lee and eventually with the combined armies to drive him back upon richmond baffled in his repeated attempts to cross the rappahannock in front of pope's position general lee resolved upon a flank movement to the left and entrusted it to stonewall jackson the latter executed the task with amazing audacity and swiftness marching round the right and rear of the union army through the villages of amisville orleans and salem pouring his forces through thoroughfare gap in the bull run mountains and striking pope's line of communication and a valuable depot of supplies at manassas junction jackson retired from this place and took up his position in the morning of the twenty eighth of august just north of the warrenton turnpike near the old battlefield of bull run longstreet's corps was so far behind jackson that a rapid change of front and concentration of all the troops at pope's and halleck's disposal ought to have destroyed jackson isolated as he was from the rest of lee's army but his position was not ascertained as soon as it should have been owing to causes which have led to infinite controversy the union forces were not brought together with the directness and celerity required and therefore it came about that in the morning of august twenty nine pope's main army confronted jackson on the warrenton pike at groveton 
porter was some three miles on the left near the manassas gap railroad and longstreet was on the march from thoroughfare gap to effect his junction with jackson's right there was still an opportunity to win a great victory general fitzjohn porter when at warrenton junction on the evening of the twenty seventh of august had received an order from general pope to march at one a m to bristow's station but in the exercise of his own discretion he did not march until dawn this delay however had as yet no specially disastrous results and would probably never have been brought into such prominence as it afterwards assumed had it not been for the light which it was supposed to cast upon subsequent events porter was however in his place on the morning of the twenty ninth with his splendid corps in fighting trim some distance from general pope's left and a little in rear of his line of battle he had been ordered to centreville the night before but his orders had been changed early in the morning to proceed to gainesville instead no time had been lost by this change as his new order found him on his march at manassas junction whence he pushed out his column on the gainesville road his advance reaching a little stream called dawkins branch where it halted about nine o'clock general pope issued to mcdowell and porter a joint order directing them to move their commands towards gainesville and to establish communication between themselves and the main body on the warrenton turnpike general mcdowell relates in his testimony before the general court-martial of fitzjohn porter that he met general porter near the little stream just mentioned about three miles from manassas junction and five miles from gainesville they had some conversation in regard to the joint order and mcdowell communicated to porter a dispatch he had just received from general john buford to the effect that a considerable body of confederate troops was approaching from the direction of gainesville concluding from this and other circumstances that there was immediate need of the presence of one of them on the left flank of the main body of the union army then engaged with the enemy at groveton mcdowell resolved to take his troops in that direction on leaving general porter he said to him you put your force in here and i will take mine up the sudley springs road on the left of the troops engaged at that point mcdowell reached pope about five p m and reported to him with king's division commanded by hatch as king was suffering from a severe illness the fitful and broken battle which had raged all day between pope's and jackson's armies was ebbing to its close neither side having gained any decided advantage mcdowell's men were put in for the last sharp hour of fighting on pope's left opposite the point where longstreet who had come on the field without the knowledge of the union commanders was now posted they lost heavily but fought with the greatest gallantry they finally retired in good order leaving one gun in the hands of the enemy which had continued to fire says the confederate colonel law until my men were so near it as to have their faces burnt by its discharges at four thirty pope who had waited all day for porter's flanking attack upon the confederate right and rear sent porter a peremptory order directing him to push forward into action keeping his right in communication with pope's left there is much discussion whether this order was delivered at five or six o'clock captain douglas pope who bore it says it was delivered at the earlier hour general porter claims that it was an hour later 
but at all events porter who had found indications of a strong force in his front waited in position till it grew dark and then retired that night general pope in deep exasperation sent an order to porter couched in harsh and peremptory terms directing him to report in person with his command on the field for orders early next morning august thirty porter reported with all of his command but one brigade and on this day one of the most sanguinary conflicts of the war the second battle of bull run was fought it was a battle which general pope was under no necessity of fighting he might easily have retired behind bull run and waited until franklin's corps which had been moving from alexandria with inexplicable slowness had joined him and replenished his supplies but the false reports of a retreat by the enemy the admirable fighting qualities of his troops displayed on the twenty ninth before his eyes and the fact that on the thirtieth he had porter's magnificent corps under his immediate orders and more than all perhaps the temperament of the man who was always ready to fight when there was a fair chance for him determined him to stay where he was and to risk a new battle on that historic field he made a mistake in supposing that the principal force against him was north of the warrenton turnpike he placed therefore the bulk of his own army on that side and attacked with great energy early in the afternoon porter's corps fought with its old-time bravery but his troops having come within the range of the enfilading fire of longstreet's guns the attack failed on the left later longstreet advanced on the confederate right a furious struggle took place for the possession of bald hill west of the sudley springs road and later sykes's regulars successfully defending into the night the henry house hill from the assault of the confederates covered the retreat of the union army across the stone bridge to centreville on both sides it was one of the hardest-fought battles of the war the day after the battle general lee made no attempt to pursue or molest pope's army but on the evening of the first of september he essayed his usual flanking experiment with jackson's corps upon the union right wing at chantilly pope had foreseen this and prepared for it and a very severe action took place beginning at sunset and terminating in the darkness in the midst of a furious thunderstorm jackson had gone too fast and too far he was readily repulsed but the union army met with a heavy loss in the death of generals philip kearney and isaac i stevens there were few men in the service more able industrious modest and faithful than stevens and kearney was an ideal soldier brave cool patient and loyal on the morning of the first pope who seemed far more dispirited and discouraged by the evident hostility towards him existing among the officers of the army of the potomac than by any of his losses in battle had telegraphed to general halleck his opinion that the army should be withdrawn to the entrenchments in front of washington and in that secure place reorganized and rearranged when there is no heart in their leaders he says and every disposition to hang back much cannot be expected from the men these orders were given the same day and the army was brought back without molestation general pope attributed the failure of this campaign to general porter's inaction and his disobedience of orders upon the twenty seventh and twenty ninth 
the general court-martial composed of officers of high rank and character by which the charges were considered found general porter guilty and sentenced him to be cashiered he assured of his own integrity persistently protested against the injustice of this sentence and sought in every possible way to have it reversed general grant refused while he remained president to reopen the case though in his later years he changed his mind and wrote a paper in favor of general porter an advisory board consisting of generals schofield terry and getty appointed by president hayes to re-examine the case acquitted general porter of all blame except for indiscreet and unkind criticism of his superior officer a bill was passed by congress restoring him to the army but it was vetoed by president arthur who however removed porter's continuing disabilities by an executive order the question became involved in political considerations and feelings and when a quarter of a century later the democratic party had gained control of the house of representatives and the presidency general porter was restored to his former place in the regular army and honorably retired the act for his relief was passed by a vote of one hundred and seventy one to one hundred and thirteen in the house of representatives and of thirty to seventeen in the senate all the democrats in each case voting solidly in his favor and a large majority of the republicans against him with all the testimony adduced it is probable that porter would not have been convicted had it not been for his own letters written during the progress of the campaign it was these letters which furnished the theory of the prosecution of porter that he felt the good of the army and of the country required that pope should be deposed from the command for which he believed him unfit and that mcclellan should have his old army back again amid all the confusion of councils and the inefficiency of those in high places it is cheering to observe the coolness and energy with which some of the subordinate officers did their work among these colonel herman haupt chief of railway construction and transportation deserves a word of notice much of the information the government received during these troubled days came from him in default of intelligent orders he himself set on foot reconnaissances and measures of relief on one occasion august twenty seven having proposed an expedition to convey forage and subsistence to pope's army he was directed to see mcclellan if possible and consult with him otherwise to go ahead as proposed he gives this account of the interview which took place between him and the general at alexandria after he had found him on a transport near that place haupt told him all the news he had gathered and asked for permission and a small escort to send a train with supplies to pope who was desperately in want of everything general mcclellan listened and when haupt ceased remarked that he could not approve of the plan that it would be attended with risk haupt thought the risk would not be excessive but his arguments availed nothing the general refused his consent to the plan proposed and made no suggestion of any other he was faint and ill and asked haupt for some refreshment which revived him and he then sent a dispatch to washington transmitting the information haupt had given him but making no suggestion for pope's assistance he then rode away leaving haupt in the deepest perplexity 
he knew what ought to be done but lacked authority had i been so fortunate he says as not to have found general mcclellan i could have acted but my hands were tied the army was suffering and in danger i could not remain quiet i determined to assume the responsibility but as i considered it proper to notify general mcclellan i sent him at nine fifty p m a notice that at four a m i proposed to start a wrecking and construction train bound for bull run also a train with forage and subsistence i asked for two hundred sharpshooters only as a train guard to report at four a m and stated that if the troops did not report we would go without them no answer was received to this dispatch and near midnight i took a lantern and visited the camps four miles down the road to see if i could not get a guard i found general hancock in bed in his tent he rose immediately and cheerfully agreed to give me the force i required general pope regarded the reluctance of mcclellan in forwarding reinforcements to him from alexandria as another important factor in his failure he says in his report that reynolds's division about two thousand five hundred strong which joined him on the twenty third of august at rappahannock station and the corps of heitzelman and porter about eighteen thousand between them which arrived on the twenty sixth and twenty seventh at warrenton junction about twenty thousand five hundred altogether were all of the ninety one thousand veteran troops from harrison's landing which ever drew trigger under my command franklin and sumner with twenty thousand effectives reported to him at centreville too late to redeem the campaign it is a fact not without significance that the last troops which joined him before the hard fighting began did so before mcclellan took charge at alexandria general sumner that brave old warrior who considered it a personal injury to be kept from any battlefield within his reach broke out in hot anger when he learned that mcclellan had said his corps was not in a condition for fighting if i had been ordered to advance right on he said afterwards from alexandria by the little river turnpike i should have been in that second bull run battle with my whole force he was made to waste forty-eight hours in camp and in a fruitless march to the aqueduct bridge in the matter of franklin's corps the correspondence of general mcclellan himself furnishes the most undeniable evidence that he did not think best to hurry matters in reinforcing pope halleck on the twenty seventh had telegraphed him the probability of a general battle franklin's corps he said should move out by forced marches carrying three or four days provisions this order was repeated later in the day in more urgent terms that franklin's corps should move in that direction manassas as soon as possible mcclellan answered not that franklin had started but that he had sent orders to him to prepare to march he afterwards discovered that franklin was in washington and gave orders to place the corps in readiness to move in the afternoon he sent dispatches indicating his belief that it might be better for franklin not to go and questioning whether washington were safe and in the evening of the same day this conviction had gained such strength in his mind that he squarely recommended that the troops in hand be held for the defense of the capital on the morning of the twenty eighth halleck telegraphed direct an order to franklin to move towards manassas but at one o'clock in the afternoon general mcclellan replied the moment franklin can be started with a reasonable amount of artillery he shall go 
at four ten o'clock he added general franklin is with me here i will know in a few minutes the condition of artillery and cavalry we are not yet in condition to move maybe by to-morrow morning halleck in despair at this inertia had telegraphed at three thirty o'clock not a moment must be lost in pushing as large a force as possible towards manassas so as to communicate with pope before the enemy is reinforced to this after the lapse of an hour mcclellan answered your dispatch received neither franklin nor sumner's corps is now in condition to move and fight a battle it would be a sacrifice to send them out now at night general halleck with vehement earnestness ordered there must be no further delay in moving franklin's corps towards manassas they must go to-morrow morning ready or not ready if we delay too long to get ready there will be no necessity to go at all for pope will either be defeated or be victorious without our aid if there is a want of wagons the men must carry provisions with them until the wagons can come to their relief at last mcclellan answered that he had ordered franklin to march at six in the morning of the twenty ninth he then enumerated the force he had in hand amounting to about thirty thousand men and added with a naivete which in view of halleck's urgent telegrams for two days would be comical if the consequences had not been so serious if you wish any of them to move towards manassas please inform me on the twenty ninth of august he got franklin started but still protested against the order to move him and continually through the day sent dispatches suggesting that franklin should go no farther until at last halleck even his excessive patience giving way replied at three o'clock i want franklin's corps to go far enough to find out something about the enemy i am tired of guesses at a quarter before three in the afternoon of the twenty ninth general mcclellan sent the following extraordinary dispatch to mr lincoln which to do him justice must be given in entire the last news i received from the direction of manassas was from stragglers to the effect that the enemy were evacuating centreville and retiring towards thoroughfare gap this by no means reliable i am clear that one of two courses should be adopted first to concentrate all our available forces to open communications with pope second to leave pope to get out of his scrape and at once use all our means to make the capital perfectly safe no middle ground will now answer tell me what you wish me to do and i will do all in my power to accomplish it i wish to know what my orders and authority are i ask for nothing but will obey whatever orders you give i only ask a prompt decision that i may at once give the necessary orders it will not do to delay longer there can be no mistaking the transparent menace of this dispatch of the alternatives he suggested he meant but one by his protests of the last three days as well as by his actions he had clearly shown his disinclination to attempt to open communication with pope there is but one course therefore left which commends itself to his judgment that is to leave the army of virginia to its fate this dispatch was sent directly to the president in answer to a request from him for news and the president replied with more of magnanimity than of dignity i think your first alternative to wit to concentrate all our available forces to open communication with pope is the right one but i wish not to control that i now leave to general halleck 
aided by your counsels during the two entire days the twenty ninth and thirtieth while pope was engaged in his desperate struggle at bull run with the whole of lee's army the singular interchange of telegrams between halleck and mcclellan continued the one giving orders growing more and more peremptory every hour and the other giving excuses more or less unsatisfactory for not obeying them but late at night of the thirty first of august when the fighting was virtually over general halleck upon whom the fatigue and excitement of the past week had had a most depressing effect suddenly betrayed that weakness of character which so often surprised his friends and sent to mcclellan a dispatch breathing discouragement in every word in which saying that he was utterly tired out he begged mcclellan to assist him in this crisis with his ability and experience to this general mcclellan replied with unusual promptness a few minutes after receiving it asking for an interview to settle his position in a letter an hour later he gave his decided opinion that pope had been totally defeated and that everything available should be drawn in at once he thinks such orders should be sent immediately he has no confidence in pope's dispositions to speak frankly he says and the occasion requires it there appears to be a total absence of brains and i fear the total destruction of the army he falls back again into his sententious strain the occasion is grave and demands grave measures the question is the salvation of the country it is my deliberate opinion that the interests of the nation demand that pope shall fall back to-night if possible and not one moment is to be lost the same advice was repeated by pope the next morning and halleck at once gave the necessary orders on september one general mcclellan visited washington and conversed with halleck and the president mr lincoln had been greatly distressed and shocked by the account pope had given of the demoralization of the army of the potomac which in his opinion proceeded from the spirit of hostility and insubordination displayed openly by some of its most prominent officers he requested mcclellan to use his great personal influence with his immediate friends in that army to correct this evil mcclellan while not crediting the report of pope nevertheless complied with the request of the president and sent a letter to porter urging him and all his friends for his sake to extend to general pope the same support they had always given him to which porter replied in loyal and soldierly terms on the next day september two mr lincoln placed the defences of washington and the command of the troops as they arrived from the front in the hands of general mcclellan there is no other official act of his life for which he has been more severely criticized but we need not go far to find a motive for it the restoration of mcclellan to command was mr lincoln's own act the majority of the cabinet were strongly opposed to it the secretary of war and the secretary of the treasury agreed upon the twenty ninth of august in a remonstrance against mcclellan's continuance in command of any army of the union they reduced it to writing it was signed by themselves and the attorney-general and afterwards by the secretary of the interior the secretary of the navy concurred in the judgment of his colleagues but declined to sign it on the ground that it might seem unfriendly to the president in the cabinet meeting of the second of september the whole subject was freely discussed the secretary of war disclaimed any responsibility for the action taken saying that the order to mcclellan was given him directly by the president and that general halleck considered himself relieved from responsibility by it although he acquiesced and approved the order 
he thought that mcclellan was now in a position where he could shirk all responsibility shielding himself under halleck while halleck would shield himself under the president mr lincoln took a different view of the transaction saying that he considered general halleck as much in command of the army as ever and that general mcclellan had been charged with special functions to command the troops for the defence of washington and that he placed him there because he could see no one who could do so well the work required the secretary of the treasury in recording this proceeding does not disguise his scorn for the lack of spirit displayed by the president and on a later date he adds it is indeed humiliating but prompted i believe by a sincere desire to serve the country and a fear that should he supersede mcclellan by any other commander no advantage would be gained in leadership but much harm in the disaffection of officers and troops mr lincoln certainly had the defects of his great qualities his unbounded magnanimity made him sometimes incapable even of just resentments general mcclellan's worst offences had been committed against the president in person the insulting dispatch from savage's station and the letter from harrison's landing in which he took the president to task for the whole course of his civil and military administration would probably have been pardoned by no other ruler that ever lived yet mr lincoln never appeared to bear the slightest ill-will to the general on account of these affronts he did feel deeply the conduct of mcclellan towards pope he was outraged at mcclellan's suggestion to leave pope to his fate he said to one of his household on the thirtieth of august he has acted badly towards pope he really wanted him to fail and after he had placed him again in command of the army of the potomac he repeated this severe judgment but he added there is no one in the army who can man these fortifications and lick these troops of ours into shape half as well as he can again he said we must use the tools we have if he cannot fight himself he excels in making others ready to fight in the interests of the country he condoned the offences against pope as readily as those against himself it may perhaps even be said that mcclellan so far from suffering at the president's hands for his unbecoming conduct towards him gained a positive advantage by it it was not alone for his undoubted talents as an organizer and drill-master that he was restored to his command it was a time of gloom and doubt in the political as well as in the military situation the factious spirit was stronger among the politicians and the press of the democratic party than at any other time during the war not only in the states of the border but in many northern states there were signs of sullen discontent among a large body of the people that could not escape the notice of a statesman so vigilant as lincoln it was of the greatest importance not only in the interest of recruiting but also in the interest of that wider support which a popular government requires from the general body of its citizens that causes of offence against any large portion of the community should be sedulously avoided by those in power general mcclellan had made himself by his demonstration against the president's policy the leader of the democratic party mr lincoln for these reasons was especially anxious to take no action against mcclellan which might seem to be dictated by personal jealousy or pique and besides as general pope had himself reported there was a personal devotion to mcclellan among those in high command in the army of the potomac which rendered it almost impossible for any other general to get its best work out of it 
general ethan allen hitchcock one of the most accomplished officers of the old army gave this as the reason for his declining that command it is difficult to regard without indignation the treatment however necessary and justifiable which the principal actors in this great transaction received mcclellan whose conduct from beginning to end can only be condemned received the command of a great army reorganized and reinforced and with it a chance for magnificent achievement if he had been able to improve it which no officer before or since ever enjoyed on this continent pope who had fought with the greatest bravery and perseverance a losing battle against lee's entire army all the way from the rapidan to the potomac encouraged at every point with the hope of reinforcements which only reached him too late and finally by his misfortune adding a new lustre to the prestige of his rival and enemy received simply the compliments and congratulations of his superiors and was then removed to a distant department of the frontier to take no further part in the stirring scenes of a war in which he was so well qualified to bear an honourable part mcdowell a perfect soldier among the bravest ablest and most loyal officers of the army who had done his whole duty and much more who zealously went before and beyond the orders of his superiors always seeking the post of utmost danger and toil was found at the close of this campaign in which his conduct deserved the highest credit with his reputation so smirched and tarnished by calumny that he was never after during the war considered available for those high and important employments for which he was better equipped than almost any of his comrades a court of inquiry it is true vindicated him completely from every charge that malice or ignorance had invented against him but the two disasters of bull run in successive summers for neither of which he was to blame remained in the popular mind inseparably connected with his name general mcclellan himself never appreciated the magnanimity with which he had been treated in fact he thought the magnanimity was all upon his side as time wore on he continually exaggerated in his own mind the services he had rendered and the needs of the government at the time he had been placed in command until he created for himself the fantastic delusion that he had saved the administration from despair in the last lines he ever wrote shortly before his death he gave this absolutely new and most remarkable account of the visit which lincoln and halleck made to him on the second of september he the president then said that he regarded washington as lost and asked me if i would under the circumstances as a favor to him resume command and do the best that could be done without one moment's hesitation and without making any conditions whatever i at once said that i would accept the command and would stake my life that i would save the city both the president and halleck again asserted that it was impossible to save the city and i repeated my firm conviction that i could and would save it they then left the president verbally placing me in entire command of the city and of the troops falling back upon it from the front it is possible that in the lapse of twenty years general mcclellan's memory had become so distorted by constant dwelling upon imagined wrongs that he was at last capable of believing this fiction it was a fancy adopted in the last years of his life a year after his removal from command he wrote a voluminous report of his entire military history filling an octavo volume he was then the acknowledged favorite of the democratic party the predestined candidate for the presidency in opposition to lincoln he embodied in that report every incident or argument he could think of to justify his own conduct and to condemn that of the government 
yet in this long narrative there is no hint that lincoln or halleck thought the capital was lost he apparently never dreamed of such a thing while lincoln lived he gave no intimation of such a charge while halleck survived although their relations were frankly hostile only after both these witnesses had passed away and a direct contradiction was thus rendered impossible did it occur to him to report this conversation between his patriotic heroism and their craven despair there is another proof that this story was an afterthought in a letter to his family written on the second the very morning of this pretended conversation he merely says i was surprised this morning when at breakfast by a visit from the president and halleck in which the former expressed the opinion that the troubles now impending could be overcome better by me than any one else pope is ordered to fall back upon washington and as he re-enters everything is to come under my command again when we consider that in these private letters he never omits an opportunity for heroic posturing it is impossible to believe that if lincoln and halleck an hour or two before had been imploring him to save the capital he would not have mentioned it the truth is mcclellan himself has left evidence of the fact that it was he who thought washington in danger on the thirty first of august he wrote to his wife i do not regard washington as safe against the rebels if i can quietly slip over there i will send your silver off if it were worth while to cumber these pages with the refutation of a calumny so transparently false we could bring the testimony of a score of witnesses to show that mr lincoln during the first days of september was unusually cool and determined grieved and disappointed as he was at the failure of pope's campaign his principal preoccupation was not at any time the safety of washington it was that lee's army as he frequently expressed it should not get away without being hurt on monday morning he said they must be whipped here and now pope must fight them and if they are too strong for him he can gradually get back to these fortifications at the time mcclellan represents him as hopeless of saving washington he had no thought of the safety of that place in his mind except as a secondary and permanent consideration he was making ready a force to attack the enemy on the third of september he wrote with his own hand this order which sufficiently shows the mood he was in ordered that the general-in-chief major-general halleck immediately commence and proceed with all possible dispatch to organize an army for active operations from all the material within and coming within his control independent of the forces he may deem necessary for the defense of washington when such active army shall take the field this order countersigned by the secretary of war was delivered to halleck by general townsend and the work of preparing the army for the offensive was at once begun mcclellan under halleck's direction went heartily to work to execute the orders of the president he had none of the protecting airs he gives himself in his memoirs his conduct was exemplary mcclellan said lincoln on the fifth is working like a beaver he seems to be aroused to doing something by the sort of snubbing he got last week the work he was now engaged upon was congenial staff work and he performed it with great zeal and efficiency it suited him in after years to pretend that he was acting without orders and without communication with the government it was his favorite phrase that he went to antietam with a halter about his neck but his letters written at the time contradicts such assertions he wrote from washington on the seventh of september i leave here this afternoon to take command of the troops in the field the feeling of the government towards me i am sure is kind and trusting End of chapter one